Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Medium Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep these special service active. I will now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Howard. I get to look tall. Uh, my name is Howard. I'm a compulsive reader. And thank you, Sarah, for asking Hi, me Howard. to speak. Hi. Hi. Uh, how many people have not heard me speak? I always like to know that. Oh, good. You're in for a treat. I, I, <laughs> I, um, I have been blessed with 27, going on 28 years of abstinence and, and the removal and I believe storage of more than 150 pounds, and I believe it will be returned to me if, if I start taking credit, if, if I say that this is my accomplishment, which it's not. It's, it's a gift from God, and, you know, it, and I have to remember that every day. Um, I, I have pictures, you know, you've got to have evidence, otherwise, you know, you don't know it's true. Like, who would claim to have been 150 pounds overweight if it wasn't true. That, 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 would, be a, that would be a real high level of sickness. Anyway, I, um, I'll tell you the story of my fascinating life. I was born, I'd like to say, I was born in, on the East Coast on an island that's not an island in a, a hotel that wasn't a hotel, and I'll explain. I was born in the building that was the Half Moon Hotel, which it wasn't any longer, it was a hospital, is in Coney Island in New York City, which is not really an island. They call it an island, but it's not. Anyway, um, uh, interesting thing about this hotel is that uh, there was a gangster that was being guarded by the police. His name was Abe Rellis. Nothing to do with me, it's just interesting. And he was, uh, the police, he was going to testify against some other gangsters, and the police threw him out of the eight-story eight window, and that was the end of him. So that's, uh, that's nothing to do with me. It's just the building that I was born in. And they, they even made a movie out of that. I don't remember the title of the movie, but the guy that played Columbo played uh, Abe Rellis. Um, I, I can't remember. I can't remember a lot. Peter Falk, right. Anyway, that's, like I say, nothing to do with me. But I was born into a middle-class, lower-working-class New York City ethnic family, and I was taught some things at a very young age that um, the world is a terrible place and people are terrible. And little boy, it's your fault, you know. Which uh, I, I I couldn't even understand it then, but you know this is this is what I was told. And the other thing that I was taught is if you feel bad, eat something and you'll feel better. And you know. I, for a long time, I had anger about this stuff that I was taught. You know, it just it, it made me angry. But very recently at a meeting, I heard somebody say that as a child, he was given misinformation by misinformed people. You know, and uh, that that applied really to me. You know, what else could they, what else could they give me? They didn't have the right information themselves, and that that brought me to a, to a level of of not being angry and and a little bit of forgiveness, you know, that, that's all they had, 
know, the good news is that I didn't. I have two children. Uh, they're not children anymore. They're, they're they're adults now. But they were very, they were very young when I came to program and started learning that this. You know, I like to call it the, the sack of crap that I was given to carry through my life and to pass on to the next generation was not true. And they were born in 1982 and 1986, and I, I came to program in 1987. And I unlearned a lot of things, and, and I didn't pass them on to, to my, my two daughters. And my two daughters don't have addiction problems. They don't have weight problems. They're... they're they're, they're happy with their lives. They're, 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 they're okay. And that, that's maybe the, the greatest gift that was given. That, you know, that, you know I, didn't, I didn't pass along the family crap. You know, I, I hate to keep using the same word, but it's being recorded, so I don't want to use a harsher word. Um, anyway, I, you know, I functioned. I, I, I don't know what my high weight was, I like to say, because the program of Overeaters Anonymous intervened, and I don't think I reached my high weight, but the highest weight I know was 373 pounds, and, um, and I was, I, I had sleep apnea before it became fashionable, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I like to say I was a pioneer, in the 1980s, I was a pioneer on the CPAP machine, and, um, you know, I, I had high blood pressure that didn't respond well to medication. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. I had rashes and and sores all over my body just from things rubbing together that, that aren't supposed to rub together. And, you know, I was pretty much a physical mess, a mental mess, and a spiritual mess. But I functioned in the world. I, I had a business. I still am in the, in the same business. Um, I was married, still married, uh, which is another another gift of the program. I, w- uh, I was the father of two two little kids, which is something that really brought my fear level to a higher higher level. You know, being the responsibility of being a father with um, with the role models that I had for parents. I just I thought I was going to raise two mass murderers. You know, I. I uh, I, re- I really didn't feel like, you know, somehow I learned that a father is very important for daughters, and I, I didn't feel like I was up to the job. Turns out I was. Turns out I, I became that anyway. Um, anyway, I, you know, 1986, I read about the about Overeaters Anonymous in the Los Angeles Times. It, it was an interview. Uh, with it was, it was cute. It was that picture. It was a man and a woman. They had boxing gloves on, and they were both beating the battle of the bulge. Was the point of it? And one, the woman was in Weight Watchers and having success, and the man is, is somebody that used to live in L.A. in um, Overeaters and he was in Overeaters Anonymous. Richie Kay. He was an actor, and uh, you know, so some people may may remember him, but um, he lives on the East Coast now. I think partly in New York and partly in North Carolina. But, um, you know, I I read, he spoke about the program and about his weight loss and, um, you know, what it was like. Now, I knew 
what 12-step meetings were like. And I knew what the 12 steps were, too, because I had been to one, and only one, Gambler's Anonymous meeting. And because overeating is, is not my only tool I have in my toolbox to hurt myself, I like to say I fooled around on the fringes of, or on the peripheral of, of compulsive gambling and alcoholism. But, you know, food was my, my only thing I was truly addicted to. But, uh, but I, I damaged myself in other ways. Oh, yeah, and if my eyes were open, I was smoking. You know, smoking all day and, you know, from morning till night. Anyway, um, I, I read about Overeaters Anonymous. I, I thought, gee, that sounds like something I could benefit from. And I, I said, well, I, I tell you, I went to this one Gamblers Anonymous meeting. Somebody had given me a phone number, scribbled on a piece of paper, and told me, call these people to help you with your gambling problem. And I called the number, and it was the Gamblers Anonymous office, and they asked me where I lived, and I told them, and they sent someone to get me. And I lived in the, in the San Fernando Valley in Van Nuys at that time. And he came and got me, picked me up, took me out to eat, took me to a meeting. It was somewhere in Culver City. Uh, somewhere. I, don't, I don't remember where. Like I said, I only went one time. But uh, the meeting was great. It was, it, was, it was much like this. One guy got up and told his uh, story. And then uh, another person got up. And they were pitching is what they were doing, you know, three minutes. And to me, it was like theater. You know, it was like these little vignettes, one after the next. And uh, I, I, I was just fascinated. They took a break. They gave me donuts. And, and during that break... And mind you, I'd never heard of Overeaters Anonymous, but this guy told me that the, he was talking to me, and I was, I was, you know, morbidly obese, eating donuts. And he said, you know, that people, this 12-step this idea of dealing with addiction is a growing thing. He says it was started with alcoholism, and, and now we're using it for gambling addiction, and people are even doing this with food, they said. And... I looked at him and I said, what the hell is he talking about? How, you know, how can you give up food? You know, the people weren't drinking, they weren't gambling, that I could understand. But then I figured it out, or I thought I did. I said, well, you know, it was like the 1960s, late 60s, 70s, I don't, I don't even know when it was, um, that people were going on hunger strikes. And I figured, well, that's where they go to train for hunger strikes, you know. And... I, you know, I was a Republican. <laughs> we didn't do things like that, you know. <laughs> so it, it was nothing to do with me. So I just dismissed it. Anyway, you know, it's funny. Early, I remember later, earlier on in life, I had been exposed to Readers Anonymous. In the very beginning, in 1960, Paul Coates Confidential, which was a TV show, they... Uh, they had Roseanne and, and some of her friends, and they were sitting with their backs to the camera talking about food addiction and this and that. And, and I, I'm sitting there looking at them. In 1960, I was, I guess, how old was I? I guess I was 11 years old or 10 years old. Um, I'm thinking, what's wrong with their faces? Why are they, why are they sitting with their backs to the camera? That's all I, I could just focus on the fact that they, that they were shooting the backs of their heads. It must, you know, must be sitting wrong with their faces. Anyway, this, this, this was my exposure to program. Anyway, when I read about it in the Times, I said, I must go to one of those meetings. 
as soon as I get the secret number where they come and get you, um, you know, I'm going to go. And I didn't have the secret number. And 1986 became 1987. And my wife brought me uh, a phone number. said, this is the phone number of Overeaters Anonymous. And I asked her where she got it. And she said she got it out of the phone book. And I'm shocked. How can something be anonymous and in the phone book? You know, it just just didn't make any sense. But I called up. I got a recording this time. And they didn't ask me where I live. Um, They just told me where the meetings were. And they droned on and on and on. And uh, finally, this was pre-internet. And finally, I heard there was a meeting. It was at Devonshire and White Oak Thursday night at 8 o'clock and, and newcomers should come a half hour early and I said I can get to that you know it was difficult it was about 400 yards away from where I live <laughs> so I said I said to my wife I am going to go to this meeting and I didn't know what the rest was the rest of the sentence was but what came out of it was as soon as I get back from New York and when I started the sentence, I didn't have any travel plans. You know, what, what, what I did is what any alcoholic would do if he's going to, uh, you know, to go into rehab in, in the afternoon. He's going to buy a bottle in the morning. And one of those pictures was from that trip. You know, it was, uh, I, I wanted to have a last binge. And it turned out to be my last binge. Uh, I went, you know, to visit my grandfather who lived in Brighton Beach, which was like two subway stops from Coney Island and, and I had my binge and I came back and I went to the meeting I went there at 7.30 and there was, I looked around there was no scale there was no cash register uh, you know there was just one one little guy there and uh, I asked him if this is where the Overeaters Anonymous meeting is and he said yes and his name is Mel and uh, he asked my name and I told him and we sat and talked and, and I developed a rapport with this guy and he told me what, that the meeting actually starts at 8 o'clock, which I, I had read and I had forgotten. And um, it was, uh, you know, he, he just told me what, what to expect. And, uh, you know, we just, we just had a, a nice talk. Like that. I thought we were building rapport. He later told me he was scared of me. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe it was something that, uh, I don't know, maybe it was, wasn't serious about that. Anyway, um, stayed for the meeting. I loved the meeting. I just, it's like maybe 25, 30 people. And it was like this meeting was designed for Howard. You know, these were the exact right people for me to be comfortable with. Much like this group here. Um, and I, I just felt, like it was like 90 minutes where I felt comfortable. And I wanted to come back. And I, I knew nothing was free. And it wasn't the, the little bit of money they asked for, you know, at the meeting. That, that, there had to be more of a price than that. And I thought the price was I had to abstain. If I didn't abstain, I wouldn't be welcome at the meeting. Um, it turns out that's not exactly true, but it, it served me well. And I started abstaining. And I, when you're as obese as I was... You know, just, you know, just cutting back anything 
you start losing weight. I mean, it's just, and rapidly. And I was losing weight, didn't want anything to do with any of your steps or traditions or any of that stuff. I just wanted to abstain and lose weight, um, which I was doing. The only problem was, I was getting crazier and crazier and crazier and more just, I was getting just rashes from just nerves, you know. And I, I was going to the doctor, you know, part of my sleep apnea treatment, and um, I showed him, you know, that I had these rashes in my arms, and he, he gave me some tests and things, and uh, he says, there's nothing wrong with you, nothing organically, whatever the word is, wrong. It must be just nerves. Is there anything going on in your life? And I lied, of course. I said, no. You know, that was none of his business, is, is what I thought. Anyway, what happened is I was abstinent. I remained. I just got sheer will. I, I was abstinent, losing weight. I was exercising because I, wanted to, I really wanted to get rid of the weight. Um, what happened was a situation came up that turned into a violent situation. And I'm, I'm not a violent person, but this is what happened. I wound up being arrested, taken to jail, and given a cavity search. And uh, it wasn't my teeth they looked at, you know, as you might imagine. And I put into a jail cell, and it was... It, it just, yeah, I called my wife, I asked her to please come, I told her what happened, I asked her to please come and bail me out, and uh, she, I don't know, she, she, she is not an enabler. She said uh, she'll get there as soon as she can, and I should wait there for her. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I did, and that's, that's when I hit bottom. I, just, I was there in, in the jail cell, and I, I was thinking to myself, Howard, Everything you ever did in your life has brought you to where you are now, and you're in jail, and a policeman has just lifted up your ass. Obviously, you're on the wrong track. <laughs> you know? And you have to do something differently. The only thing I could think of was your 12 steps. You know, your 12 steps of recovery. Uh, and I decided I didn't like them. I didn't want to do them. I didn't even like the people who talked about them. You know, I, I, all that was true. But all that didn't matter. All I, had to, I, I, I had to do, do those 12 steps. Um, some were more difficult than others. Um, and, you know, either prove they don't work or, or get what they promise. You know, it was it was it had to be one or the other. It you know couldn't be anything else. Um, I didn't think it would kill me to you know to work the twelve steps. I suppose that's a third possibility. But um, you know, I contacted Mel, the first man I met in program, asked him to if he would be my sponsor, and I, w I was ready to do the twelve steps. And he said I should come to his house. One night, I don't even remember what night, it was one night during the week, and we read to, read the books, and he had these questionnaires and, and things for me to write about, and, you know, I, I, did, I did what he told me to do. Um, ten minutes? Oh, good. Um, 
I, I did what he told me to do. And, you know, if he had told me to run down Wilshire Boulevard naked spitting nickels, I would have done it because I was ready. You know, I just, I, 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 my way wasn't working anymore. And so I did, I did the steps. Um, I kind of liked uh, step two. Uh, you know, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. You know, I thought, wow, if, that, if that's true, I was at one time sane. You know, if I'm going to be restored to sanity, I must have at one time been sane. And I took that as quite a compliment. Uh, you know, but what he, he, he gave me these things to write about. Frankly, a lot of that stuff that I told him was none of his business. You know, but I told him anyway. And here it is, uh, what, uh, 20, 27 years later, and I, I was 37 then, I'm 64 now, I'll be 65 soon, and I'm okay, physically I'm okay, I, I don't have any health problems, which is, you know, knock wood, something I'm, I'm very grateful for, um, you know, I, I still have a crazy head, but I don't listen to it. You know, I, I, just, I just let it run. Um, you know, and uh, I have a belief in God. I have a, you know, belief. I have this uh, friend in program. He lives in New York. He says, you know, that some something brings the, the sun up in the morning. Something puts the sun down at night. Something makes the waves uh, flow in and out, you know, ebb and flow. Um, something... Uh, you know, makes food grow out of dirt. You know, I can't do these things. It has to be a power greater than me. You know, that's sort of easy to accept. Anyway, uh, I I got eight minutes left. Huh? If, if I I have to speak the full time to earn my honorarium, is that the uh, <laughs> is that the case? Uh, you know, something I always like to talk about, which was absolutely necessary for me, and I suspect. I'm not the only one to, uh, you know, to maintain recovery and sanity was um, exiting some toxic relationships that I was in 27 years ago. And, and this, this, were, this wasn't like, uh, you know, the bakery guy or something. I mean, it was people that I was close to that, I, that were absolutely invested in me not changing. And I'm saying people that I was close to, I'm talking about my father, my older sister, uh, a friend that I knew, uh, had since childhood, and somebody, uh, the fourth was somebody, I, I, a customer in my business that I was very close to. And he, they all had addiction problems, and they couldn't stand that I was not becoming a non-addicted person. You know, and the... Uh, and I was getting therapy at the time, and my therapist told me that absolutely, there's no other way. You have to not, you have to exit those relationships. And and I was able to do it. You know, it wasn't easy, but I was able to do it. And uh, you know, I'm very thankful that out of those four people, three of them are dead from from their addictions, and one, uh, the fourth, is uh, a complete invalid. Um, and that's not me. And it very well could be me. You know, just, I, I, 
I told my father about the program. I told my sister. My friend knew more about it uh, than I did. And they weren't interested. You know, I had to save myself. It's, it's the, only, the only person, the only recovery that, that I, you know, am responsible for is my own. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful yeah, that, uh, you know, that I was able to do that. Um, you know, those, those two kids that I was scared to be their father, like I said, they've, they've grown up fine. They're, they're, they're just fine. And that's, that, that, like I said, I said it before, it m- might be the greatest gift of, of the program. That my, uh, you know, that I was able to be a father that could raise, you know, well-adjusted children. You know, and into well-adjusted adults, and uh, they give me a lot of joy. My older daughter last year gave birth. Uh, I'm a grandfather now, and uh, I, I just feel like I would have missed. I would have missed it. You know, I wouldn't be around to see it. And it's uh, I've o- I've only seen my grandson once. They live in Baltimore, but they're going to be here for Thanksgiving, and uh, I'm really anxious anxious to see him and, and interact with him. Anyway, uh, five more minutes. What else can I talk about? Um, you know what? I, you probably have. Don't ask me any questions that I don't know the answers to, please. Uh, don't don't make them hard questions. Uh, uh, my name is Howard. Um, I'm a compulsive reader, and I approve of this message. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, who would like to ask me a question? The question is, what does my abstinence now look like? I'm glad you asked me that. Um, I eat, well, I started off three meals a day, nothing in between. That turns out that wasn't what it evolved into. I eat more like six times a day, small amounts. But the food is really, really clear to me what I'm supposed to eat because my younger daughter prepares it for me and puts it in a, in a box, in a, a picnic cooler. And uh, it's real simple. I, I prepare my own breakfast. There's two or three things that, that I eat, you know, that I can choose for, for breakfast. But after that, I abstain from everything that's not in that box. And it's really important for me because... Uh, I have a vending machine business, so uh, go figure. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a junk food seller, but but like any good drug drug seller, I do not get high on my own supply. <laughs> a- anybody else? Please. Uh, the question is. Through my journey, did I find any foods really, really difficult, and how did I wind up putting them down? I, I'm different than most. I, I don't have trigger foods. I, I don't. I don't feel like if I eat a little bit of something, I'm, it's going to drive me crazy, and I'm going to have to consume all there is. I, there's things I don't eat just because they're no good for me, you know. And but I'm not afraid of any food. Um, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. You know, I, I heard a woman talk about. The difference between a compulsive overeater and a food addict, and uh, which I never quite understood, 
and the difference because if you're not a food addict, what are you compulsively overeating? You know, uh, I mean, it's, but the way she explained it made sense. It's a compulsive overeater is a person that uses excess food to calm himself down. A food addict has certain substances that they they can't even consume a little bit of it. And I don't feel like that's me. I'm not a food addict. Uh, like I say, things I don't eat just because they're no good for me and I don't want them. But they don't scare me. Okay. Yeah, the question is, can I describe my spiritual practice uh, daily routine? I, honestly, I don't have one. You know, I... You know, I feel like I, um, maybe I'd be better off if I did, but I don't. I talk to a lot of people, I, I pray, but not at any special time. I, I don't understand meditation. Um, you know, I'm being honest with you, you know, I just, uh, I don't really have a spiritual practice. But uh, I try not to act like a crazy man. <laughs> That's the best I can do right now. Oh, what do I tell a sponsee about meditation? I talk to a lot of people, try to help people when I can. I don't have sponsees. I, I don't know, I just... I, uh, I, I don't know why, I, to be honest. I just, I just don't. I do a lot of service and program, do a lot of different things. Um, but that's, you know, everybody has a job to do. And a sponsor is just not something that that I do and it's like this woman said you're the only one that openly doesn't sponsor people you know and that, that's what it is I'm willing to help people willing to talk to them um, you know deal with issues and this and that but oh thank you thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening